If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour And welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast uh, Where we deal with burning questions, not people and uh, so on this episode, uh, we are, have a lot of great things planned for you guys. But before we get into that, I uh, just want to introduce ourselves. Um, I'm Keith Giles, the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics, Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, and a couple other books. And I'm joined by my my buddies here. Introduce yourself, guys. Yeah, this is Jamal Javanji, and it's really good to be with you. And this is uh, Matthew DiStefano, and I'm happy to be with you recording this podcast on Apocalypse Saturday. And so far, so good, everyone. <laughs> is that this Saturday? Yeah. I don't know how many of these I've lived through now. Well, I think a lot. I mean, I've got, I've, I'm only 35, but, you know, I got the camping one and uh, the Mayan one in 2000, so I got a good, a good, good number under my belt. Man, I, you know what? Here's what the thing that makes me sad. It, it's sad that people keep setting dates, but even more sad is that people continually keep falling for it like that's the part uh, that's really depressing to me is to see people sharing this stuff and, and talking about it like it's like it's real i i can't yeah. get over it but thankfully we are still here and because we're still here we have a really 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 fantastic uh topic for for uh for today's podcast we are going to be talking about total agreement this thing called total agreement and how important is it to fellowship? Yes, we are. And um, we are also going to, before we get into that, start off by talking about our Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. And this week's Heretic, we're going to stay uh, We're going to stay back in the day like we did last week with Marcion. And uh, we're going to talk about Origen, or Origen, I'll, I'll call him Origen, um, who was a third century Christian theologian. He was a Greek scholar from Alexandria. Um, he was, I mean, arguably the first quote-unquote theologian. He was a brilliant, inter brilliant interpreter of Scripture. He had tons of writings, um, but he also had a strict adherence to the Scriptures, uh, albeit he had a, you know, an allegorical as well as quote-unquote literal view. And most people today who I've come across um, they believe he was a heretic because he believed in uh, universalism, including, of course, uh, the devil, who would also be um, reconciled at the end. And, but that's not quite the case. Um, he had a certain view that was tied to his universalism, which was this notion of a pre-existence of the souls and then a fall into a human body. And then he had a, a kind of a wonky view of the resurrection as, as compared to uh, most of the church fathers. So it was really those views that were uh, heresy, that his universalism was sort of attached to that. And, and it's not really until the 6th century um, where those views are deemed anathema. Right. And then after that, his, his, yeah, his books are destroyed. They're mistranslated. That's a funny word, by the way. Anathema, yeah. It's so it'd ridiculous. Be, it'd be cool to be in a band called Anathema or something. Anathema. Um, it's like a metal Christian, heavy metal band, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So I just find it interesting that, you know, he was around in the third century and then he's a heretic all of a sudden 300 years later. And so let's, let's burn his books and, and mistranslate them. Yeah, so he wasn't a heretic to anybody who lived around him. He was a heretic, like like you said, like hundreds of years later, people look back on him and said, oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't like some of these things. So now he's a heretic. But no one, I think, at his time really considered him a heretic, right? Yeah, I, I I don't know if any if nobody did, but yeah, it's not it's not this view until we look back and say, oh wow, those were some real shit views, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> all right, and damn. there you go, money uh, in the square jar. <laughs> gosh, early on, within five minutes, that's not good. But anyway, yeah, it's just interesting that it's not it's not till later that that these. I mean, even universalism, you know, it's it's uh, pretty popular in the first couple centuries, and then when you get to these. You know, councils of Constantinople, I believe, in in 544 and 556. My dates might be a little off, but you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, they're just like, oh, well, that's that's heresy now. That's that's wrong. That's false doctrine. Yeah, it kind of reminds me when uh, you know, you have a political party that's in power for a while and they love you, you know, and and then of course the opposite political party gets in power years later and they kind of rewrite the history books. It's just it's it's the fickleness of people that want to you know, shape history in their own, in their own, you know, with their own agenda. Yeah. And a lot of Christians don't really, they don't really like the idea that, that early Christians, actually majority of early Christians seem to have really been universalists. Um, that's something that we kind of want to go back and, and like you said, rewrite history on that because Christians nowadays don't, aren't a big fan of that. No, it's a great point. It's a great point. But, you know, Honestly, and I don't know if we're if you guys have talked about this before or if we've if we've mentioned this before um, on on this podcast. But did you guys know um, that we actually have a heretic hotline? No, no. Really? Can you tell them? About yeah, that? yeah, we do. Seriously, time. and honestly, like I really think we should we should tell the, the listeners about this because you know why are we keeping it a secret? Well, that's why, why don't saying. we tell like, more people? Nobody knows about this hotline. How in the world are people <laughs> supposed to call in? You know, to leave messages. So there's a number. It's actually we do have a number. The number is two four zero three heresy. So two four zero three heresy or two four zero. Three four three seven three seven nine. Again, that's two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. That's a really important number. That's called the Heretic Hotline. People can call it. You can call it any time, like day or night. It's always open. Right now. Yeah, right now even. And you can leave this message. Right and, you know, we'll get to it, and eventually we'll. You know, possibly if it's, you know, if it if 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 it gets uh, some kind of approval, uh, then it will make it on the air. And I think. I think we actually have um, a a voicemail from the Heresy Hotline already. Isn't that crazy? It's like the first. It's like the first week we've had it open, and we already got a sound bite. So, do we have that? Am I correct in that? Today's reading is from the Book of Romans. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. However, if this love is not reciprocated, he will fucking burn your ass forever and ever in hell. <laughs> Praise be to God. <laughs> Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Oh. Wow. Does he have to, does, does he have to drop uh, some money into the, uh, the swear drive? Good Lord. I, I don't know. 
Who, oh, that's great. Who is that? So, Do we know yeah, that, who sent that? I, I think it's I think it's Zach Parsons. I don't mean to call you out, but I think it's him. <laughs> Zach. Right. Thanks, Zach. If that was you. Oh my gosh. We good point though. So anyway, yeah, yeah. So what what else can people call? I mean, you can make messages like that. You can give us some uh, you know, some reprimands if we've gone off track. You can do anything anything you feel like telling us on the uh on the Heresy Hotline. Ask questions, give us ideas for the podcast, tell us how great we are, tell us how shit we are. It doesn't matter. Totally. And, and even if you have a, a serious, uh, even if there's like a, I know this is like probably, I don't know if we mentioned this, but um, if you have a serious concern, like even even something that you disagree with or, or just you want to push back a little bit in, in, all, in all honesty, in all seriousness, like that, that's what the hotline is there for as well. So just wanted to mention that. I mean, really, yeah, right. see, it's basically the best way to, if, you, if you're listening to the podcast and you hate it, you love it, you want to correct a mistake or make, you know, ask a question, whatever, this is your best way to communicate with us. And especially if it's something cool, because we, we want a chance to play it, you know, on the podcast. So uh, it's a win-win. For sure. For sure. And so let's get into this if we can, if we're, if we're ready. Let's, let's get into the topic, which is, Let's talk about total agreement because honestly, and, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one here, but within the Christian system, the evangelical world that you know that I've been a part of for a number of years, um, agreement. I mean, we were. I mean, you had to, literally you could not have fellowship with people. You couldn't. Have, and, and again, that word even I, I personally don't like the word, but because I think it has baggage, I think it really needs to be unpacked. But can you? The, the idea is, can you? Can you really have like this sense of community and connection and um, with people who have different ideas? Can you have that connection, that real deep connection, fellowship? It's, it's like this idea of communal, family, familial connection. Can you have that um, with people that you don't agree with and that you have different views on some pretty, pretty foundational ideas about things? So uh, in, the, in the Christian world, um, the history has been, no, you can't. You know, you that's where people separate and divide over because people just have very different views on things. So the topic we want to get into is how important is total agreement to fellowship? Well, in 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 my in my experiences, it's been, um, you know, there's these essentials and then there's um, the non-essentials. I think that's how they get broken up. So, for instance, um, when I was in in the I don't know, I guess we'll call it loosely the evangelical world. um, you know, some of the essentials were were uh, heaven and hell, um, inerrant Bible, things like that. And and then some of the non-essentials were like pre-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation rapture. So those were non-essential that we could have fellowship if, if we disagreed on those sort of things. But it kind of begs the question or raises the question, um, like, why, how do you, what do you deem the essentials? Well, I mean, who gets to say what's essential, what's not essential? And is that really the most important thing? I mean, agreeing with each other on all these lists, could it be that having total agreement actually divides because is, mm-hmm. is total agreement even possible? Is yeah. it? I mean, certain, certainly us three, we're going to disagree at times. I mean... It, yeah. It hasn't happened yeah, yet, but it will. Right. I, it will. Promise. <laughs> I disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. kind of a paradox now. Well, I mean, so yeah, you talk about essentials, you know, and I think that's, it's one of those things where it sounds really good and it seems to make sense. Like, yeah, okay. What's that phrase, right? In, um, um, what is it? In, in essentials, uh, unity, but in non-essentials, charity or something like that. That, that yeah, little phrase. Know. But, it, but anyway, nice. but, um, 
But see, in practice, it doesn't it doesn't work out that way because like you get into things like, you know, and I know people like this are like, well, if you're not a Calvinist, uh, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. Well, that's not shouldn't be a, a uh, an essential that you have to believe in predestination or something like that. Like, why is that suddenly right. an essential? Who gets to decide what, what the essentials are, you know? Right. Exactly. I mean, is it, it's really, is it essential to be a Christian if your understanding of free will is predestinated? I mean, that just, that's, that's absurd. I mean, silly. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or even, or even views about the afterlife, you know? So do you have to believe in eternal conscious torment, uh, to be a Christian. Well, you know, Christians nowadays would answer, I mean, I think, again, like we just said, it used to be in early church history that you could uh, have fellowship with someone if you disagreed on whether it was universalism or eternal torment or annihilationism. It was okay. You know, we just, they could disagree and it was, it was uh, tolerated and, and accepted. But, you know, fast forward to today, and if you're someone like Rob Bell, who dares to write a book that calls into question the theory of eternal conscious torment, you are a heretic, and we won't uh, fellowship with you. Right. And it's just funny that that when, like, Edward Fudge uh, came out with his book on annihilationism, it's like he got met with the same the same sort of stuff that Rob Bell did. But now you could be an annihilationist, and it's, and it's not—there's not this backlash. So it's just—it's weird how— this idea of total agreement even morphs as we go, um, and and we don't have this static uh, fixed thing uh, that says, "Well, this is total agreement from henceforth." It's like even that, even the group. It's like different groups have had these different ideas, and they morph as we go. That what what agree what we need to agree on, yeah, actually and, changes. And I have a question for you guys, and I don't know. Again, just for conversation's sake, I, I don't know if you guys have in your mind some like everybody seems to have a little bit different idea of what the essentials are, but do you guys have a set of beliefs that you feel like though these are essential? Uh, in terms of, in terms of doctrine? Yeah. Like Christian doctrine? Yeah, totally. or, um, um, not for, ter- not, the way I come at it is probably a little different. Um, not for fellowship. I mean, I wrote a book with, with a guy who leans Buddhist and, and it's, it, it wasn't vital that we agreed doctrinally for us to have fellowship or to even be called brothers mm-hmm. um i think for me there is a um it's more of a uh, maybe an ethic or a, a way like you will you will not be sacrificial you'll not coerce i mean i i can't it's hard to be in fellowship if we disagree on whether or not you're allowed to coerce people yeah there you go um or whether or not whether or not you're allowed to uh, i mean Christians should be first and foremost repentant scapegoaters, um, those who realize that they're victimizers, Mm -hmm. um, that we would have pierced Jesus too. So I think that that's essential uh, for me to be a Christian is to realize that you need to repent of what seems to be this this human propensity towards uh, scapegoating others and sacrificing others. That's just for me, though. I probably come at it out of a different angle than most. I don't, I, I'm similar. I, I tell you what, though, the answer to that question, the way I answer that question now is very different than I would have answered it probably even a year ago. So I, I'm, I, I think now, though, I'm closer to you, Matt. Like, I, I agree well, not for fellowship, because I definitely do. I fellowship with people all the time that I disagree with uh, on theology. Yeah, Keith, how would you, when you say it's different now than it was a year ago, what would have been a year ago? That's not now. Oh, okay. Uh, well, a year ago, I probably would have 
listed some doctrines that I felt like you had to believe, you know, like believe in the deity of Christ and believe in, um, you know, whatever. I would have boiled it down to some essentials, you know, uh, Christ died on the cross for your sins and blah, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, now I've, it's really become closer to like what you were saying, Matt, where it's more like my whole thing is, and again, not for, not for fellowship. Cause like, as, as I was saying, uh, plenty of people I, I consider brothers and sisters in fellowship with that we don't hold the same doctrines about things. So not for fellowship, but, but for like what I think the core essence of what it means to be a Christian is uh, to me, it's, it's very simply, you know, do you, do you have an intention to follow Jesus? Like, is Jesus your standard? Um, because if, if he's not, if Moses is your standard, then I would sort of I would sort of uh, disagree with your calling yourself a Christian right, right. if you're not really if Christ isn't your your uh, role model and your you know who you're who you're following. So I just kind of say, look, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, which is what a Christian is, I would assume the bare minimum is that you would be at least trying to take his word seriously and follow him. Um, but yeah, I guess that's it for me. Right, well, which of course raises the question: Who's uh, Jesus? Like W H O S E, right? Did I get that right? <laughs> um, like so. So, for instance, let's um, we can we can bring it to what's going on today in the Christian world um, with this Nashville statement, Article Ten. I'm sure all the folks who put their names to that, said, we are following Jesus, and when we, when we make this, um, when we make this statement of faith, and some of us who would disagree with, with their theology, or the way they interpret Jesus, or the Bible, or whatever, would say, no, it doesn't, I don't think you are, mm-hmm. and I, I, I would feel my stance let's say would be yeah is is following what would be what would jesus do to, you know the cliche thing and they would also so it's like this um yeah we're stuck in this place of who's jesus are well, we talking about yeah and then see that's why and that's that's where the conversation begins right and that that's what i'm interested in i'm want i want to have that exact conversation with those exact christians and and say to them okay hold on a minute you you think you're saying hey i'm following jesus here and i think that Jesus would be, you know, thrilled and applauding and saying amen that that we got together and, and wrote down this Nashville statement. And, and you know, the guys who signed that thing, you know, uh, people like Francis Chan and James Dobson and uh, John Piper and uh, J.I. P- J. Packer and J.P. Moreland, all those guys, uh, I, I'm, I know for a fact— Right. That if, well, I shouldn't say that, but I, I'm pretty darn sure that if you got him alone and said, "Hey, that Nashville statement thing that you signed," um, do you think Jesus would have signed that? They would say absolutely. But I would, I would disagree. I would say no. I think Jesus would never sign. That. <laughs> can we give? Can we give the listeners and uh, like a little snapshot of what? Because you know, what is Article Ten? Like, what we're talking about the Nashville statement. We're talking about Article Ten. What, what are we talking about here? Well, everyone, ever, everyone's probably familiar with the Nashville statement. Um, on uh, the you know the first we'll start with the first article we affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal sexual procreative uh, lifelong union with one man and one woman as husband and wife and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and His bride the church. So there there you go. Of course Jesus would be on board with that because they put Christ in right right in the first article. Yeah, of so course. Right there. We you know we we jump down so it's about it's about marriage. We jump down to Article Ten 
And we affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism. Excuse me. And that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. And, and then we deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgen- transgenderism, I can't say that word, is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. So they deny that and they affirm the first thing. Yeah. So yeah, the whole, the whole statement, was, the whole national statement in general was just something that, uh, it was at an annual conference, right, of, of uh, ethics and religious liberty uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, a bunch of these guys got together and drafted this statement about, uh, it's supposed to be about the evangelical position um, on marriage and sexuality. Well, and, you know, this is what I find, right. this is what I find to be really perplexing, <laughs> or not perplexing, I get it, but I think it, it to me is like, okay, maybe we should unpack this a little bit, because it, it what this speaks, it's like, it reminds me, of like, from history of when these councils, would, people would come together and they say, we're going to we're going to issue some creed, some statement and this is going to define the movement, the Christianity whatever. So I'm like, okay, and then you you may read the creed and then people can discuss what what points of the creed or the statement that they like or they dislike. But here's something I don't think we we're asking. Like this is what we may need to do is go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The people writing the creeds, who do they represent? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just be completely honest. Like th- th- there are people that didn't even going back, and this is probably another conversation, but even some of the, the medieval creeds that the Roman Catholic Church would put together four or five hundred years after the time of Jesus, you only, even though it, it, it has this feel of orthodoxy, like, oh yeah, this is the official stance of the church, they're really only speaking for certain segments. There are other voices that you're not hearing in that. And so then it begs the question, why the audacity of these people to speak as if they're representing something more than themselves. You know, John Piper, uh, all these JP Moreland, all these guys, you know, they're great people individually, but they don't speak for nobody. They don't, they, they carry no authority. They carry the only authority they carry is what they think. They don't speak for anybody else. Well, or what people give them, right? Yeah, totally. The authority that people give to them. And unfortunately a lot of people do give these guys a whole lot of authority. Totally. But it's illegitimate authority. They don't speak. They literally are talking out their ass just to be completely honest. Literally they, they carry no authority. Oh, they. I, I don't want to speak for them, but I'm sure they would. They would say that there's a, you know, there's a historical consensus that human sexuality is such, you know, a man, one man, one woman, you know. Um, so that would that would be to play devil's advocate. They would say it's not. It isn't our authority. We're just lining up with how the church has always been. That's the problem. The church is. The church has consistently been wrong on every issue. Every issue, just about at the at the start, yeah. They 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 always come later. They always get it later. And the idea that they're speaking on behalf of so many people, like these select talking heads, get to speak for thousands of people. It's like it's just totally ridiculous. Well, I I think there's there's definitely truth in that. I mean, look at look at the first with even Paul and the Jerusalem church. Like we have this we have this idea in our minds. I think that the church has been unified, one voice all throughout history, and it's like well. I, you know, Douglas Campbell and J. Louis Martin and others have, and Chris Tilling, are, are starting to show us that that might not be the case. Like, there's this rift that we see 
with Paul and the Jerusalem church and, and, and the so-called pillars of the faith, as Paul yeah. so ironically and mockingly calls them, oh, yeah. says, oh, you got to snip your penis and you got to, you got to uh, sit on a, you know, you got to have kosher table and obey the Sabbath. And we even see Peter wrestling with this. He's like, he, it's like he gets it at, at some time. And then he, and then he goes back to the old ways, Peer pressure. you know, James and the Jerusalem church and the false teachers and this, you've got to have these Jewish uh, cultural rights um, in order to be a Christian. Yeah, and then, you know, here's the thing, too, and I, this whole thing, going back to the the whole thing about councils and stuff is, uh, and this national statement is, you know, I, I would have had a little, a little more respect for the process that they, if there had been a process before they had drafted the statement. In other words, if they had said, you know what, guys, we think we're right about this, what we think about um, homosexuality and transgenderism and stuff. But you know what? We, we don't know a whole lot about it. So why don't we get together with other believers, other Christians who hold different views from us on this topic? We'll get a few people together. We'll have a conversation. We'll let this person talk, but then we'll have another person talk, and then we'll have a debate back and forth. And and uh, and then once we have all together as the body of Christ— um, come together to to debate and dialogue over these issues, then and only then will we attempt to write a statement that either A, reflects what we all believe, or B, at least speaks about it from a place of being as informed as we could be. But they didn't do that. They don't care about what other people think. They're not interested in hearing what other people who dissent uh, on this issue think about it. They're only interested in saying, um, here's what we believe— we all we agree on it, you know. We're going to ram this down your throat. Shut up and and do what we say. That's what really pisses me off. Is that there is no conversation. They're not open to anybody else's opinion about it, and there is no dialogue. And by and writing that writing that thing means there's no dialogue. Yeah, there's 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 not a conversation for sure because in a conversation you don't need to write statements because it's a conversation that people have. And again, in a conversation, there are there are people who can have points and counterpoints. Here's the thing, even going back to Acts 15 in the early church, when Paul has this revelation, hey, you know, Gentiles can come into this, uh, the way of Jesus, and they don't need to become Jewish in the sense of law-abiding Jews. And then, you know, it, people felt like they needed to get together to talk, the, the leaders. I actually think it's, it's a sign of where the church was going wrong even then, that they felt like these apostles, these guys, it was really more for their own benefit. They had to get their own head around this new revelation. So they were like, talk. it's really more therapeutic. But here's the thing, yeah. the Acts 15 council in which the leaders of the church came together really and kind of basically eventually came around to Paul's understanding. Yeah. If they yeah. if they never did come around to Paul's understanding, it doesn't matter. It may, may means nothing. Here's the thing: Paul's revelation of of like this new revelation that Gentiles can come into the way of Jesus without actually becoming Jewish was going to be true no matter what the Acts 15 council said or didn't say. You know, so it's again the idea of you have to have these councils of leaders, quote unquote leaders, who sit on these chairs and they speak in as if they represent people other than themselves, and it's just not. To me, that's 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 bullshit. It just doesn't. It's just ridiculous. And here, I thought I was going to be the one making all the donations, dude. This you corrupt. Nice. You're corrupting all of us. Yes, he is. I am you're bringing I, us I, down. This is just proof that I'm I'm the devil. The weakest link, man. Um, I, gosh, I know. Yeah, you, I mean, you guys are absolutely right. It seems that anytime there is this uh, freedom in Christ, like. Oh, religion just wants to hold on to it so much and, and say, no, it's got to be this way. And, uh, you know, it's got to be this one 
specific holiness code based thing going on and if you guys don't agree with all these holiness codes all these rules and regulations not only not only are you wrong doctrinally but you're not a faithful christian anymore you're not a faithful religious person it's like i really want to cuss right now it's like it's <laughs> that that is complete crap well and you know and and then they and they even say it here like article 10 you know, it's exactly you're right, man. They say, we affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism. So I'm, I'm a sinner. So you, what you just did was you labeled everyone a sinner who loves someone who's transgender. Like, I, like if I have a friend and, and he's transgender and I, and I love that, that person and I treat them as an equal and they love Jesus and together we fellowship in Christ— I'm a sinner because I did that. And that's what they're saying. Like, that's what is, makes me so angry, man, is that, first of all, who gave them that authority to, to make that definition? And then, and, they're, and then, but they're saying it, I know they're saying it from such a complete place of absolute and total ignorance. Like, they would only say that because they actually don't have any relationships with anybody who's actually gay or transgender. Because if I think if you did, I, I would hope, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I hope that if you were a follower of Christ and you actually, actually did befriend someone, and I mean befriend them, not just say, oh, my, fr- my cousin Bob, uh, his son is gay, and therefore I, I know someone who's gay. No. I mean, you have a friendship. You These people have been to your house, and you've been to their house and shared a meal, and you listen to their story, and you've cried with them, and you've wept with them. You've, you've listened to them tell their stories of, of how they've been persecuted by the church, by Christians, by their family. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't think that you can be a follower of Christ and really stand with someone that way and know them that intimately and then ever, ever say what they say in Article 10. Right. And I think it's, I think what you're speaking to is, um, is the contact hypothesis where you, if you have a, a you know, fundamentalist view about something, you will not, no amount of reason, um, or logic or anything like that will, will change, um, someone's mind. It is, it is befriending the person. And so that there is this empathy and, and and I forget the person who came up with this hypothesis, but it seems to be true. It's that you can reason with someone forever and ever and ever, and it's like you're kicking against the goads like it is an axe, and you're banging your head against the wall with this person. It's not until that that person befriends a Muslim if they if they hate Muslims, a gay person, an atheist, um, what have you. And just to be completely honest, you know, like my views obviously over over homosexuality. You know, again, this is we can probably get into this in a different topic, so I'm not going to get all into this. But I think it's an important point because my views on it have shifted over the year um, and it, over the years, like just in, in in life. But a lot of it hasn't been because of what I'm not wrestling with. What does the Bible teach about this, or what does what is you know what are these? It really has come from just experiencing other people. So for example, this, this past summer, I did this trip to Europe. I was walking the Camino, uh, which is a, a path in Northern Spain. And, you know, and you're, it's like a 500 mile journey. It's a pilgrimage of sorts. And I, you meet a lot of people along the way. And I remember uh, just walking with this, with this lady and um, it was just really clear her heart, so, such a beautiful heart. And we walked together for a few days and then she ended up having to leave. Um, she could only be there for a few days, but she ended up, I, I could really see just a just a, such a huge heart of love and compassion and just 
she she really felt like family to me, you know, like like we had fellowship, like real fellowship. Then she started telling me about the love, like you know, we get into life. You talk about your relationships, and she's actually in love. And then she told me she's like, and I'm, and I could tell she was a little hesitant, especially knowing my background a little bit. Uh, she was a little hesitant to tell me. She's like, you know, I'm in love with a woman. Like I have this love, and I, just, I of course listened to that. And she told me, and it was. Literally, after the course of you know a couple of days walking with her and seeing into the depths of the love that she actually carried for this other woman is beautiful. And so, like I, I even like even though my positions on on that issue had been shifting over time anyway, but to really get a glimpse because of this personal interaction, and it was it actually to me was very holy what she was describing, like what what she was carrying for this other woman. It felt. Yeah holy. And I know that kind of love because I have that love for other people. I carry that too. And it really was like, oh my gosh, there is to have that kind of interaction with people. Once you get out of your box and you you start to really interact and, and start to experience a person's journey with them. Yeah. You can't have these, you know, you can't have these dogmatic statements that just keep everything in these nice little, you know, little little boxes out here and keeps us safe from having to think and really, or even experience things that may, we're not, we're not used to. And that, yeah, that's it right there. When we, you know, I, I grew up thinking one way about, about human sexuality and then it's, it's that, yeah, it is that whole business of when you come across people who are either gay or bi or, or queer or trans or any, anything that's different than your own bubble, your own, uh, you know, boxed in, uh, world and you actually live in love like you say I will hear these people's stories I will listen with empathy I will I will see where love is and I will just let that be like the guiding uh, the guiding light in in my life instead of my rules and just take that risk then you start to see well how do I how do I follow Jesus in loving these people how do I how do I do that and and it's it's like they can teach you just by us listening to them and hearing their stories and not writing them off. You're a sinner this, you're that, you're going to hell, you're going to burn. Oh, we'll do it nicely. We'll say, I just want to I just want to help you, brother, or I just want to, you know, I don't want to see you uh I don't want to see you living that sinful lifestyle, you know. And it's like, well, let's listen first. If we're loving them, we need to listen to them first. For sure. Hey, and and I'd like to, Keith, I think you have, like, I'd like to ask you personally regarding, and this, I think it illustrate, will illustrate the point about getting into somebody's world a little bit, but you've had a change of heart about politics specifically. And, and how did, how did that shift for you? Yeah. And, you know, and because you, you've obviously written a book about um, Jesus untangled, you know, and it's you know, obviously, you know, untangling Jesus from politics, but this has come out of really a conversion experience of your own. And how can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, because uh, yeah, you're right. I was raised um, in te- growing up in Texas uh, in a Southern Baptist Christian home, and member of the NRA, and listen to Rush Limbaugh and all that stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know what? What it it was a slow kind of a slow process for me, but um, I think probably the biggest shift for what kind of changed my mind about that whole thing about politics, about mixing faith and politics. Um, was I was talking, I'd moved to California and I was talking to my mom and dad back in El Paso on the phone. And they told me that a, a lifelong friend of our family, um, a friend of my mom's, uh, had, had gotten saved. She went to their church, visited their church, went forward, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And I was all excited, like, oh, man, that's awesome. Praise God. Yeah, and um, so a couple weeks later, I'm talking to my parents again. And I, I said, oh, hey, how's how's our friend Phyllis doing? You know, how, is she still going to church? And how's that going? And my dad gets real quiet. And then he says, yeah, Keith, I don't think she really, really was saved. I don't think she had a, a real conversion experience. And I'm thinking, oh, man, what is she like? Yeah, I don't know. Did she fall away? I don't know what happened. So I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, she voted for John Kerry in the last election uh, against Bush. And, and I'm like, Dad, are you serious? But so, so honestly, what I say is that it's like, it's like the, when you notice the speck in your brother's eye. Uh, so in other words, first I saw it in my, in my parents. And when I, when I noticed that kind of attitude in my parents, it was, that was the, that was what it took for me to notice, yo crap, I got a log just like that one in my own eye. Like I grew up thinking that my whole life, you know, and, and what are some other ways that I'm entangling my faith in my politics? And that was the beginning for me to like kind of step back and, and start kind of like, okay, Holy Spirit, search my heart. What other ways have I let my politics uh, bleed into my my faith? And that was kind of the pulling on the thread that kind of helped me unravel that um, to the point now where it's like, I don't think Christians should have anything to do with politics. Wow. But Wow. But I, so I want I want to go back around though. Can we go back yeah, around just, though to yeah. the LGBT thing? Because I, I, I love hearing those stories because that was, I think that's another interesting thing. Um, you know, so Jamal, you shared a story. Like Matt, was there a story for you um, that helped you change your views on LGBT? Um, well, there's not there's not really a specific story. It's just this long sort of progression through. I mean, meeting. Yeah, of course, there's little stories of meeting LGBT couples or uh, befriending people, working with people, coworkers, and then realizing like just I think just kind of shutting my mouth. And learning to listen, um, and, and just watching them and say, you know, there's really no difference between their relationship and my relationship with my wife. I mean, they they do the same things. They show love in the same ways. They, um, except they might be two women or two men. And so, who in the hell am I to say, like, oh, well, that's not love, though. But what I engage with my relationship with my wife is love and the behaviors are the same except except the characters of the story aren't the same but somehow now that's not love and so it was for me it was like if i'm truly if i'm really going to define my my way of being by like the ethic of jesus and and loving your neighbor as yourself and um you know, you will know you are, uh, we will know we're his disciples if we have love for one another. I, I had to just, you have to just like, you're holding it out there and you just drop it and it's got to go. Like, I, I can't hold on to this, this view any longer. So over the, pro- I mean, over the process of years that happened, but eventually you just drop it and say, um, I've, I've got to let that one go. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think maybe just to jump back in here, like with the, the topic at hand is like, cause this is just another example of what people feel like they need to have unity on in order for you to have fellowship. Like, do we really have to have total agreement on anything? And that's, I think to bring it back to Jesus. So Jesus says, you know, people are going to know you that are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so it, it goes back down to this. Like if you really break it down to our, our family level, like, okay, if you have children, you know, and, and I have a daughter and so, 
you know, there's a very few things I probably, well, I wouldn't say that, but at, at, there was points in our life that I would say there are very few things that we would agree on. But if I'm in touch with the love I have for her and she's in touch with the love that she has for me, it, it doesn't break the idea that we're family. It, like we, and even, even relationally speaking, like, like as far as like even walking to like, even having like a actual relationship that you can really appreciate the being of a person, the presence of a person, the reality of a person. When you drop the this need to judge between right and wrong, good and evil. Again, it goes back to this whole the tree and the you know the the story in, in Genesis in the garden, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is really at the basis of human behavior. And people really want to feel like this is good and this is bad, and I have to label it in order for me to. It's really more about your own comfort. But if you can just drop the need to even come up with a position and to say this is good or this is bad, then it allows you to actually accept. Doesn't mean you, you may not agree. You, you know, like I don't really fully understand. I'll just be completely honest. I don't fully understand same-sex attraction. Other people do understand. I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. Like I don't really have to. I can still accept a person um, because if I can appreciate their being, their presence, and and you know what, I I may or may not understand it. I may or may not grow to somebody's. I may come to see things the same way, or I may not. But it doesn't even matter. Yeah, um, I think this this brings us all the way back to like the last episode on you know heresy. If we're in the New Testament sense of the word, is divisiveness, and it seems that this total agreement only causes uh, division. You know, so all these things that we need to totally agree on. Um, you know, creation, evolution, these things, you know, uh, women in leadership, all these things we have to define in this certain way. It's like, that's, ooh, this seems to be the thing that causes division. And so going back to the whole point of this, this episode, um, is total agreement, you know, is total agreement something we need to have? Well, no, I think it'd be quite the opposite. Um, it's it's this idea of total agreement that causes divisiveness, which is true true heresy in in this in the right I think the the, mm-hmm. the right sense of the word. That's exactly right. Yep. Oh, and even the thing you know, the whole thing of like oh unity. If you want to say unity uh, has to be based on total agreement, then you're screwed because there's no such thing as total agreement. There are no two Christians, I really don't think, anywhere that really believe on everything. I mean, I I just think that—and maybe if you can find two, you sure couldn't find more than that. You know what I mean? Like, you would have these churches made up of two or three people who all agree on every single little possible thing. Like, it's not possible. Even even when you have a denominational church that has a statement of faith, and you say, okay, we affirm these ten— things and everyone who who's a member of this church has to take a new believers class and go through the you know graduate and then get baptized and then uh, join the church and and then sign your name to this document and stand up front of everybody and say I believe these doctrines they don't believe all those doctrines they they either are too too dumb to know whether they do or they don't or they believe some of them but you know they're not willing to like hey my family goes here or my my best friend goes to this church i really like the music director or whatever like or or the you know the worship band is cool or whatever like they have a great youth group and i want my kid to be in the youth group whatever like i'm willing to whatever yeah i'll sign i'll i'll say i agree but i don't really agree with everything um and so like it's an illusion this whole idea that people think they have unity because oh we're all southern baptist and all southern baptists believe these things 
I would challenge that. I bet if you got some of these people who are members of Southern Baptist churches alone and really walked through those beliefs, they probably wouldn't believe even half of those things. Oh, totally. Totally. Well, I would like to say this about the Nashville agreement, if I could, if I could. So the Nashville agreement reminds me of a joke and I have a joke specifically I'd like to introduce here. Um, and it's a knock, knock joke. Can I, can I humor you guys with a knock, knock joke? Sure. Uh, by, by all means. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? Broken pencil. Broken pencil. Who? Ah, uh, forget about it. It's pointless. And that's like the Nashville statement. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. That was incredibly lame, but, but, but right on point. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling we're going to have to put up with these every episode. Yeah, I'm starting to uh, to sense a theme here. It's pointless, guys. The Nashville statement yes. is pointless. Not much I agree on. Well, I, I think a lot of people would disagree with you, but I would agree with you. Yes. It, well, it's not, I mean, it's pointless, yes, but it's also um, quite, uh, I, I think it, it it causes so much more harm. And, and the, uh, that community, the LGBT community has been scapegoated for so long. And, and while it's pointless, it's like, God, why do we need to keep doing this? We just, I mean, uh, <laughs> We have real consequences, real sociological consequences of suicide in, in that community yeah. that we, we're just piling and piling and piling on. And um, God, we've completely missed the point. Yeah, and you know what? I'm sorry. I got to drop a bomb here real quick. Because I, I want to say that the Nashville statement is heresy because it divides the body of Christ. <laughs> yeah, and, and I totally agree with that, Keith. And I think... I think um, I don't I don't say the Nashville statement's pointless because the people who wrote it don't have an, a right to express their view. I don't I'm not saying it that way because you know I I, get, I understand that people have views and strong views on different sides of this conversation, but why I think it's illegitimate is because they're attempting to speak as a as a unified to speak on behalf of everybody because of their positions in some way. And that I think is not helpful because they, again, they don't represent the whole. And even if they represented 99.9% of people, which would be, which is just ridiculous because that's not, that never happens. But even if they did, it still doesn't give them the authority to speak on behalf of other people. They speak for themselves. And that, I think that's the point I'm trying to come across here. It's like this, I, this need for creeds and statements and to coalesce and co it's really manipulative and it's really for the purpose of, of, of like of of people's sense of certainty in their it's all their own psychology that they feel like they have a need to do this so they can like make the world a nice neat place when it's just not the way it works like you know so that's why I feel like yeah. it's a pointless and they're they're taking authority that like you said they're they're assuming authority that they really don't have to speak for everyone in the Christian church which they are not doing um, so I would ask this question. If they don't have really any true authority in the church, who does have all the authority in the church? Peter. No. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jesus. I, that's what I would say, right? And so right. Uh, how, how did that guy, how did Jesus define unity? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't actually walking the earth today, so we can't we can't we can't actually go and be like, hey, Jesus, what's your? Can you opine on this uh, this this situation here? Because he's not actually here in the way that he was two thousand years ago. Because again, there's an attempt for people to speak on behalf of the historical man Jesus. But I think really what we're here's the the authority comes from within people. It comes from within, and I think we lose that authority. When we stop speaking from 
our own inner essence, our own inner being. And when we try to speak on behalf and, and take that right away for other people, because literally everybody has to come to their own understanding from within their own being. So when a person speaks from that place and lives their life from that place, there's, there is inherent authority in that. But when they start speaking on like, and, and labeling and putting things on other people, then I think that's what loses the authority. I don't know that there's really anybody that can speak on behalf of the whole in that sense, because the, the Christ nature, the, the essence of Christ, that's where the authority lies. And it's, it's, it's already there within us. We just tap into that and speak from that place. Um, but again, speaking on behalf of other people, I think that's when we kind of, it kind of loses its authority in my opinion. And when, when we're speaking in that, in that place and it's, I mean, it's always going to look, it's always going to look like John twenty nineteen through 23. It's always going to be for forgiveness and for bringing peace. And if, um, if our supposed where we're getting, if this Nashville statement seems true, if it's right, if it's just, if it's honorable, it will bring peace and healing and, and it will bring shalom. And the fact that the fact that in the real life situations of LGBTQ people, <clears throat> this type, sorry, edit that out. Uh, this type of, uh, of doctrine does not do that. And so that's where our evidence of what is correct doctrine, what is authority, what is all the... It's going to bring about peace and, and, and forgiveness and shalom and reconciliation and empathy, and, and this kind of shit just doesn't. No, for sure. Yeah, Matt, and I agree with that. And I think, you know, here's the thing. And just like you said, uh, it really should always go back to uh, an acknowledgement that we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And... And I, I really don't, I, again, I just don't believe anyone who really is seeking reconciliation, and that's really your goal, uh, that you could ever really, you know, write something like the Nashville Statement, that you could really get behind something like that and say, yes, I think this is what uh, Jesus wanted us to do when he talked about the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, he wanted us to uh, to condemn other people who are different from us uh, before we've even taken any time at all to attempt to understand them or to listen to them, you know, um, and that's what upsets me. Yeah, I think that, you know, our unity is really in Christ, and, and that was really the point I was trying to make earlier, you know, like, who has the authority in the church? Well, I would say it's Jesus. You know, Jesus says, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? And, uh, and I think that, um, you know, his command, he commanded us to love one another. Uh, and here's, the, here's my little test. If, if you're not sure if you're loving people the way Jesus commanded you to love people, here's the deal. If they don't feel loved, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, that's the easiest way to tell. The, the, what Jesus intended when he told us to love one another, his intention was that we would be loving people in such a way that they would really feel loved. And, um, and the national statement just isn't about the ministry of reconciliation, and it really isn't about loving people and yeah. putting them first. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of the situation in, in the— in the early church, I think in the in the church in Rome, obviously that they were they were struggling over the the concept of meat sacrificed to idols. He had two groups of people in that community. One group thought felt very strongly from their own convictions or whatever that this was wrong. It was wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and and that may seem trivial to us, you know, a couple thousand years removed, and it, we're in a different culture, different. But to them, it was very real. And so, like you had the other group, it was like, no, it's it's actually no problem. And when one group tried to start speaking on behalf of the others, 
Like when one group was like, oh, this is what's right. Either side, those who had the freedom to eat meat and those who felt like they people shouldn't be eating meat, as soon they overstepped their authority when they tried to put their what they were living from on other people in the sense of like good and bad, right and wrong. It's that whole old, that's really where the law kind of is, is rooted from this idea of good and bad, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like this kind of dichotomy. And so like, I think Paul really addressing that saying, Hey, listen, you know, you like, you know, you live from within your own place, you know, like, like, yeah, don't do anything that's going to compromise your conscience. And who are you to cause another person to stumble? Like if you have freedom in this area and you're putting it on them, making the people who don't have freedom in this area feel bad, then, Hey, you know what? You're, you're guilty of this greater thing, which is, you know, you're coercing, it's manipulative. It's this thing. And the vice versa. He's like, if you, if you don't have freedom to eat, then why do you judge your brothers and sisters that do have freedom? Again, so it's that same essence. So it's really not even important. And so I would even say that about this conversation with regarding sexuality. Like there are people who don't feel in their spirit like this is something they can get behind. And that's fine. Hey, that's totally fine. If that's where they're at, totally fine. It's where you are. But there are also people who 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 feel very, very much like that they have peace in their hearts on this issue. They understand what love is about, and they feel very, um, very confident that they can pursue um, love in this manner, and it's not an issue for them. And so, like, I, I think nobody should be speaking on behalf of either group. People have to live from within their own convictions on that issue. Yeah, well, so, yeah, you know, here's the thing, man, and I totally agree. I think the— um we need to be erring on the side of love, and, and whatever we do, we should be, if we're in, ever in doubt, we want to err on the side of love. You know, and Jesus, as we've said, you know, we, we've all said it, Jesus calls us to unity um, in himself, right? He, he was such a big deal to him, right? And he, he prays to the Father, it's the whole thing about that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. Um, so unity is a big deal, and we're not going to find unity in agreement. Uh, you know, Paul says that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so we're not one in our doctrines, we're not one in our beliefs uh, over this or that, you know, over almost anything, really, if you look at church history, that's why there's so many denominations. Um, yeah, but uh, we're almost out of time here. So, uh, guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, next episode is going to be about world religions. Um, yeah. Hey, don't forget about the hotline, guys. Don't forget about the hotline. Thanks, guys. I had fun. Did we tell them about that yet? I think, did we I mention think it? We, we didn't give out the number, did we? No, we, we better do it ten more times. Blow it up. <laughs>